Before we start to look at the slides, I just want to speak a little bit more about what Pastor David has just mentioned, that uh, we really need to deal with these issues of mental health or mental illness um, because we are part of a society where these problems are not only significant but increasing and we are not immune as as a church both in experience before we come to the Lord and also after we come to the Lord of the things that can come upon us as individuals and families that can cause us issues to do with our mental well-being. As far as my own experience is concerned, I've been fortunate never, never to have really suffered from these things, anxiety, fear, depression, any of those sort of variations of those things. And neither have I had significant trauma in my life that would trigger me into such a state. But a number of you here, I know, have and many people do. So my experience is, I suppose, more than 40 years of talking to people um, and letting them talk to me and explain why they feel the way they do and together trying to find answers to their feelings that um, are not only sort of factually based in the human condition, if you like, but more importantly based on the answers that God has provided for us human beings through Jesus Christ and his, his life and his death and resurrection and then the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that has come as a result of all of that so that people can have, call it a resource, it's not a terribly good word, but a resource for dealing with life's issues that they did not have before. So I've had those years and talked, and I'm very interested in it, I must say, because I can see that all around us in, as a significant problem. And some of the slides will give you some of the um, prevalence or the, the degree in our, not only our society but worldwide of, of what massive, a massive problem this really is. So back to before we look at the first slide, I just want to look at two or three scriptures in the beginning of John's Gospel that everybody knows that really state where the problem has come from. Now, this uh, wonderful first chapter of John says this, in the beginning was the word. The word is not only a written word subsequently, but in the beginning was Jesus Christ, who is the, the word of God made flesh ultimately. But in the beginning, whenever that was, and the word was with God and the word was God, joins together Jesus, the word of God, with God the Father. Same as in the beginning with God, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. And then is a key verse here. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness being the, um, 
the state of the mind and of the nature of human beings. And a couple of other verses, verse 12, but as many as received him, and this talks about the change, to them gave he power to become the sons of God and even to them that believe on his name, which were born of not of blood, but of the will, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And at the end of that verse, full of grace and truth. So we have a situation here where we've got light and darkness, spiritual, natural contrasts. We have the human race created by God um, with the potential or the ability to be like him, but because of the, the natural nature of man, which is demonstrated by that particular individual called Adam, there was a choice made to be the decider of their own actions and thinking processes. God actually calls that darkness. It needs the light of the word of God and the spirit of God to change that so that the potential that God has placed in the created human race to be realised, to be made a real thing, to change lives. That's what it's about. So that's a general thing here. Light, darkness, spiritual, natural. And the world generally is still in a state of natural thinking and action and mental ill health is one of the consequences of that physical, natural state. I'll just turn this, um, this little... So there we are, the first, the first slide. So there's a, a particular description of it. State of mind that allows you to cope, you can read it. State of mind that can be eroded by risk factors or supported by protective factors. Some things in life make us feel good, think well. Others don't. Others can have the reverse effect. And you've got that continuum there at the bottom, the contrast between something that's feeling good and functioning well and on the other side, poor mental health and some of the consequences of that. The second slide is a definition from the World Health Organization, similar to the first one. A state of well-being in which the individual realises his own abilities. <laughs> You've got to make a comment about that. A lot of people feel frustration a lot of the time because they don't think they are, no, they are not realising the potential of the abilities that they have and all sorts of um, uh, reasons for that, both external and internal. Or cope with the normal stresses of life, work productively and so on, make a contribution. Because we are, human beings are made to live together and to react to one another and to share and to respond, cooperate, not fight, which we are very good at doing worldwide. It's terrible, isn't it? But that's the state of mankind. So there's a definition. So the next side says why we need to know about it. There's some numbers there that some of you may not realise. One in five, 20% of Australians in that age group experience a mental illness in any one year. One out of five. And then half, almost half, in their lifetime 
will experience mental illness or, yeah, just illness will do. So this can affect people both before and after coming to the Lord. The difference is, I'm going to need to keep saying this, the third talk in two weeks' time will be giving, hopefully, the, the scriptural answers and way of approaching these things to overcome them by the grace of God and by the word of God. So this is more about what the problem is today rather than trying to lead people to ways of overcoming and victory over the things that trouble them. So it can still happen to people in the Lord. Events can happen after they've come to the Lord and very often there are events that have happened in people's prior earlier life that are extremely difficult and continue to trouble them. Serious things that have happened to people when they are young. All right, next slide. Another little slide that just a picture. Some of these slides got from a sister, Jackie Riggs, as you, some of you would know, is a clinical psychologist, wife of the pastor in the Sydney Fellowship. So there's three words there. Anxiety, depression, substance abuse are primary causes or consequences of things that happen in people's lives. And People can feel like the way those three pictures are representing how people feel. Next one. I think I'll repeat it. So anxiety, depression, fears, negativity, doubts. It's the same problem, mental illness. And I've said, do we have a problem? Meaning we, the society in which we live, and the answer obviously is yes. Anxiety can become fear, can become sometimes suicide, but certainly can become depression. Substance abuse. Substance abuse is not just things like dope or ice or whatever the current ones are, um, but it can be much more frequently alcohol in our society. And Pastor David in next week will be talking about addictions in our society and there are many, many addictions, some of which people don't think of as addictions, like, for example, an addiction to work. Addictions are very often ways of hiding, hiding from really thinking about what's going on inside yourself. You can hide in addictions. More of that next week. So next slide. Some more facts for you. And sort of repeat in a bit more detail what we said before. Seven and a half million people nearly experience mental illness in some point in their life. Almost half people think, oh, it won't happen to me. Well, half of people, it does happen to one level of seriousness or another. Now, 
that was that's 2007, which obviously was 30, 14 years ago. Um, there is not, there has not been another ABS survey of these things since then. But I can assure you that things that I've looked at indicate that the numbers are increasing. They're not decreasing. They're getting worse. 20% of population. We had that before. And how about that bottom line? Mental disorders are the leading cause of the disability burden in our society. 24% of the total years lost to disability come from mental illness. A quarter, much more than physical things. So it's an increasing problem in our society. So how do we go about looking at our place in our family and in our church and in our society, our workplace, our school place, wherever it happens to be? Because the world is trying to influence people and does and is influencing people and there are other things which we'll look at in a moment or two that are significantly influencing the way people think and act. I think I've got another very simple slide which came from Jackie. Yes, depression. It's not, it's a very serious state of illness to be in depression. And I think there are some people in this room who know what that is like. Um, I don't only by talking to people I know of it, but not, I don't know it personally. Next slide, similar. What is it? On that, that, that block on the right-hand side, disappointment, lethargy, hopelessness, feeling flat, low, frustrated. And you can see on the left, you can just read it. So we can have depressive incidents. We can have things that can happen to us from time to time that make you feel down, sad, depressed, negative about your life, about your relationships with other people, about your prospects in the future, maybe about the world generally. You know, things can affect you. But in life, as you all know, is not just one straight line of feelings, hopefully going upwards. Life is a wiggly line. Things affect the way we feel on a daily basis. That's not depression. Depression is when the line is like that. That's obvious, but that's the way to think about it. Ordinary life is like that. Good days, bad days, little bits of conflict, bits of happy, you know, it all sort of works together. It's not a flat line. But when it becomes an increasing downward line, then the person is in trouble. And they know they're in trouble, but so often people don't know what to do about it. So major depression, more intense, lasts longer, interferes with effective day-to-day functioning. People don't want to get out of bed. Hide in bed. Stay up late at night, stay in bed in the morning. Don't want to get up and face the day. Those sorts of things happen to people. So, yes, I think the next slide says, yes, we do have a problem. So more numbers for you to realise. We just need to understand the the, uh, the strength of this 
Now look at the strength, the size of this problem in our society. One in four women, one in six men will suffer from depression sometime in their life. That's a lot. So there are going to be people in this room who suffer from depression. And the third most common cause of illness among women. That's a lot. One third. You wouldn't think that, but that's the facts. The leading cause of suicide in Australia. And I think you're probably all well aware that the suicide rates amongst young men particularly, sort of 18, 20, 20, that sort of age is really high in Australia. And it doesn't make sense on the face of it, given the sort of society we live in where we're well off, we don't, people are not starving to death, where people generally have got a place to live in. I know there are homeless people, but in general, but other things are going on and it seems to be exacerbated, it is exacerbated in the thinking and the actions of young men that lead to a very high suicide rate. And that I found, that I was looking, checking some things again just this morning on the computer, and I found that from the WHO. By 2030, depression will be the leading cause of the burden of disease carried by the world as a whole globally, the leading cause of the burden of disease in the world. How about that? That's more than heart disease and all the other sorts of things that there are that are problems that cause illness and, and death. So I'm sure we agree that we have a problem. Next one. So what causes it? You don't need me to read that, but... There are many things. Okay, I'm just I'm not speaking because you're reading it. Down the bottom there, sometimes there's an underlying medical problem. I don't know what the facts are here, but there are certainly, I suppose you'd call them, I'm not a doctor obviously, but you'd call them genetic issues that come on from from uh, parent to child that create a propensity towards the child having the similar problems to the mother or the father, whatever they might happen to be. I don't know what percentage of people who struggle with these major issues comes because there's a, uh, an underlying medical problem that's inherited. I don't think it's major from what I've read but it's there some of the time with some people, no doubt about it. But those three things in the third bottom line, social media, identity and self-worth, <laughs> you can talk about that a lot. Um, so but now's not the place. I mean, you, you can go to university and study psychology for four years, so I can't do much of a job in half an hour, can I? But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's an awareness signalling thing this morning. But what's going on in social media and the way that is increasingly dictating the way people think and the way they behave and relate to one another and the whole issue of identity is, is making far worse the problems that people have problems with identity because of things that have happened to them when they're young or even as they grow up and they begin to doubt their own self-worth and their own value. 
And that's a natural response sometimes. If you're not, you just don't think you're good enough. Or as good as the, your brother or his sister or the other people at school or, what, or work or whatever it is. But social media and identity politics and identity ravings they are, frankly, <coughs> is really having a significant effect on our society. We, we've got a problem. The Western world has got a problem here. It's very serious. But self-worth is one of the things that I know from the, so many of the people that I have spoken to over the years to make, give people the opportunity to realise just how valuable they are, firstly to God and then to their families and to the people that know them. If you can change that idea of self-worth, then that's the, the road to victory and overcoming things like anxiety and fear and depression. It's easy for me to say that, but to do that in a person is another issue. But there'll be testimonies about this sort of thing. And I know quite a lot of people really over the years that have had that victory over lack of self-worth. All right, that's probably enough for that slide. So what's anxiety? You can feel a bit anxious about all sorts of things, but then you do it or you experience it, whatever it is, and it's okay. Um, sometimes if we're not anxious or concerned about doing well, maybe we won't do well enough, whatever it is. So that's okay. So it's more than just a transitory or a temporary concern about something. It's a state of being out of proportion, uncontrollable, persistent, significant distress, impairs daily life. People can be so anxious. It's not depression exactly, but they can be so anxious that their ability to just do normal things day-to-day -day is severely impeded. And so I just sort of keep going on about this, but I just but we need to sort of really appreciate the depth and the extent of the problem that our society and we as individual members of that society and in the church, the extent of the problem that we have to deal with. As I've already said, and I'll obviously keep saying it, <clears throat> I know that because we have been the light of God, that John 1 scriptures, the light of God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit that has shone into our life, made us a new creation, given us the mind of Christ, the capacity to think about life the way Jesus would. I mean, Jesus had some fairly stressful things to deal with putting it mildly, <clears throat> and he had to go away and seek the Lord and spend time with his father. And in the end, of course he was anxious, doesn't seem like the right sort of word at all, does it? <clears throat> Distressed maybe is an appropriate word when he was praying in the garden about 
what was going to happen, but he knew he had to do. You and I will never have to experience pressure as extensive as that because he was doing that on behalf of the whole world and its state of darkness, separation from the light of God. Jesus was one with the light of God, but he had to take that darkness and become darkness, if you like, sin, separation, so that the rest of us would have the opportunity to walk in the light. And the thing about overcoming and dealing with mental illness is walking in the light of the word and the spirit of God rather than in the fear and condemnation and anxiety and other things that can come as a result of circumstances in our natural life. I'm going to keep saying this. This is the thing we have to not fall back into is the negativity of natural thinking because of circumstance. Okay? Next one. Causes. Well, pretty graphic sort of slide. Again, I'll blame Jackie Riggs for that. (laughs) And I talked to Jackie again on the phone. Um, It's really great helpful for me to talk with her. So there we are, some of the causes. You look at them. All sorts of things can cause us to feel anxious. So therefore the answer clearly is doing something about the causes. Easy to say, not easy to do. Strength comes from where? If we feel weak and lacking in self-worth and ability to deal with life and particular circumstances, where does our strength come from? Well, it's not only from God and through the Holy Spirit and his word, but it's also from other men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And certainly and often with people who've had their victories over similar problems, they can be tremendously healed. That's how the body, anybody, the physical body works and it's how the spiritual body is to work as well. Mutual support, recognition. And, and so everybody filled with the Holy Spirit is able to be a support and a help and an encouragement and be part of the healing process to, to another brother or sister who is struggling. And just by the way, the most important thing to do if you are, if somebody comes to talk with you about their struggles is to listen. Whatever you do, don't come up with a quick, this is the answer to your problem. The important thing is to listen and to prayerfully support. That's what they need. They need somebody to share the problem with so that understand, they can understand themselves better what is going on and then with the word of God, my favourite scripture, and I'll talk about it in a couple of weeks' time, my start point in talking with folk about these things is Psalm 107, part of verse 20, he sent his word and healed them 
and delivered them from their destructions. He sent his word. It's the word of God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and written word in us that will heal us from the inside out. That was a psalm and it was talking about, it was addressed to Israel and the destructive things that they were doing as a society and so on. You know about the history of Israel. But it's got that wonderful personal application. It's the word of God, which is the light of God, that can shine in the darkness and change that darkness into light. All right, next one. I think this is about, yes, time pressure. Well, here we go in our society. Time pressure. Now, there'll be different answers if I ask everybody in this room, what's the most significant time pressure that's upon you? But there's a list of things, isn't it? Family, personal, personal relationship, work, recreation, digital addiction. Maybe Pastor David will talk about that next week. They call it digital cocaine. How about that? <coughs> Apparently, <laughs> the amount of time and if it's put looking at a screen has the effect on the way your body is working like cocaine does. Now, they just read that recently, and there's a book apparently that, that's got that title. Anyway, digital addiction, social religion, church time. It's difficult, isn't it? So what about these promises from God? Peace that passes understanding. Joy that no man can take away. Love. Big letters. If people know not only that they are loved, because sometimes they can still feel as though they don't, they don't, they're not worth the love of the other person because they're really no good. They are able to recognise the individual who is struggling, that they are able to give love to other people. That can trigger wonderful change because it can take away the negativity of feeling not good enough to receive love and good things from other people. Instead, it's why the Bible says it's better to give than receive. It's wonderful to give and make a contribution to the life of another human being. That does wonders inside you if you are struggling. It's sort of counterintuitive, but it's part of the answer. Joy that no man can take away, well, that's because you know about that. That's because we know that despite our faults, and our struggles, Jesus died for us and that he's coming back at the time so that we can be resurrected at the time that's according to God's plan. Okay, next one. So just read that, folks. With the, and I'm particularly referring to depression there. I'm talking about not just a little depressive episode that only lasts a day. I'm talking about serious chronic depression. I'm not, I don't know that there's anybody that I've spoken to in all of these many, many years that hasn't had something significant, trauma, abuse in their early life.
And so what people do is protect themselves against that same sort of experience or feeling happening to them again. And it's called the walls of depression. So you build up walls of protection in order, which means shutting away from uh, experiences and contacts um, that may cause similar things to happen that happened to you when you were young or, or earlier on. Okay? Self-protection. It's a lonely place, but better than being hurt again. And the key to the word of God is that with Jesus you can start, people can start to take the walls down bit by bit and venture out again. Better than being hurt again or conflict and dissatisfaction. So you hide. As I said already about, uh, about hiding places, addictions are hiding places. That's another way of hiding from the sort of external contact with circumstance and people that might create experiences like you've had earlier in your life that have been damaging to you previously. The sort of circle thing that goes on here. Next one. All right, materialism. Talking about the Western world now, particularly. Seems, again, counterintuitive, but the more materialistic you are, the poorer your quality of life. And you see the note underneath. underneath. I realised I had to this morning that I needed to add that. I'm, we're not, and I'm not disregarding what goes on in the world. If you look at on the news and these terrible things that are happening with wherever, whatever country it is, where people are being murdered, where there's effectively genocide going on, Sometimes with the displaced persons, forced migrations, starvation, all sorts of things. I don't, I have no idea what that does to an individual's mental state, but it must be just horrendous. As you see your children dying or whatever it is, you know, know it'll live. Like we can't imagine it. So we have to confine this discussion to the Western world circumstance in which we live. Because the other is really beyond my, I'm sure you all do, you look at the news and you just, you just cry, you see these little children starving to death and all those things, it's just, so we, we, we can't do anything about that. You know, Jesus come back, do something about this, that's, that's, what's, that's all we can do. But, so, but we do and can deal with the circumstance, the Western world circumstance in which we live. And materialism, the endless chase after the new whatever, is, is a ridiculous, it's like those you know, wheels with the, um, what do you call those wheels where you get rats or whatever it is running in them? It's got, it's got a word, hasn't it? Some, somebody tell me what that is. Hey, That'll do. I heard somebody say years ago, you can get on one of those, and you run around around, and the problem is at the end of it all, you're still you're a rat when you go, and you're still a rat when you come out. Bit, bit, bit negative, anyway. There you go. All right. What causes it? Materialism. Uh, the uh, the marketing, advertising, 
push for the next to the newer whatever it is that you need. People get trapped into it, don't we? I'm sure none of you do ever want a new anything, do you? Are you happy with the old one? What's wrong with a box brownie? Why do you need a, a 5G Samsung X21 or whatever they are? Your box brownie will do. Nature of man, sin. I'm going to talk about that next. Sin's been sort of airbrushed out of our Western democracy. What is sin? What is considered sin in the society is not exactly the same as what the Bible says sin is, but you and I know that sin is fundamentally separation from God. In other words, living in darkness, and I'm going back to the beginning, rather than living in the light of the word and the spirit of God. Intrinsically bad, totally flawed by sin. Now, a humanist would say that's rubbish, that the human race is not fatally flawed with sin. Well, the Bible says he is, or it is, the human race. and needs to be born again, changed. Near about one. The word, that's the things that I've referred to at the beginning of the talk. The light shining in darkness. And if you can think about that, if you're struggling with any of these things, think about those, those scriptures in the beginning of John. And it's like, you know, the obvious thing, what is the definition of darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. So we need the light of the Spirit and the Word of God to shine into darkness of our thinking sometimes so that we're able to see the way our life should be. Think of your own little examples of this that work for you, not only for yourself, but so that you can understand a little more when your brother or your sister in the Lord or your family member talks to you because they like to have a talk. Next one. I think this is the last one. So medication, the SRI, the serotonin reuptake inhibitor, serotonin is a a hormone and it's a neurotransmitter and a neurotransmitter, sorry, uh, and affects all sorts of things, the way we think and other aspects of our body as well. And so there are medications that can help that. But the cure is fundamentally spiritual, as I've said there. I think I had a scripture here. John, a couple of scriptures in John. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace. And there's a word I don't think I've mentioned it particularly today. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So that verse says that there will things, things will happen, circumstances and events will arise that will cause you or me to be troubled and to fear. But he's saying the peace that comes from him, Jesus deal with that. That's what he's giving us, peace. And in the next 
chapter 16, towards the end of that chapter, right at the end of that chapter, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's what we've been talking about. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, clearly, Jesus hasn't overcome the world in a global sense yet. So, therefore, it's talking about overcoming the world in respect to the way the world affects you or me as an individual person. He's overcome the influences and the effects of the world as far as they would damage or control or affect your life. The peace that he has given you or me and me is able to deal with that, overcome that. There is no doubt the tribulation is getting worse and will continue to get worse. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Well, now we're going to ask our sister Cynthia to share a testimony. I'm just going to share my journey with um, my experience with... um, my mental health. Um, so just to give a bit of a background, um, my family, I guess, genetic history would be that my, grand, uh, my grandfather's brother um, had paranoid schizophrenia. Um, my maternal grandmother <clears throat> had depression and it was so severe that um, when my Sorry, my mum was a child. Um, She actually was put into hospital for shock therapy and my mum and her siblings uh, went into an orphanage for a time. Um, Both my parents, um, uh, undiagnosed but signs there of um, very strong um, depression and anxiety. My mother has an eating disorder, which is... Uh, really rooted in severe anxiety. Um, two of my sisters have paranoid schizophrenia. Um, so, and then on my father's side, um, uh, when I was pregnant with Zach, my um, cousin, uh, he took his life when his marriage ended and he left three young boys behind. So basically that's my genetic start before anything else. So it's very strongly... Um, you know, there's a very strong genetic path already there. And then when um, I realised, like, through my journey, if you look back into your history, your parents' history and grandparents' history and their lives and you start to understand where things come from. So both my parents came from strong trauma, both came from um, abuse. Uh, My mother lost her... um, mother and grandmother when she was in her 20s in a car accident together they both died um my dad had come from um a schooling where they were physically beaten and abused so basically um when I was born um my mum had already had a previous marriage with three children and then she had met my father and I was fifth out of six children so when I was born we already had five children um, and the sixth one came not long after and um, there was very strong financial problems. Um, 
dad was medicating with alcohol. All I remember is just the smell of alcohol and him constantly being drunk. That's my memory. It may not have been the case. Um, Mum was very focused on food. That was her way of feeling in control. Um, and dad would be um, violent a lot, particularly when he was drunk. So this was um, the life where I started. So um, as time went on, I guess as a child, I didn't really know any different, to be honest. Um, and I went to school and... Um, I guess probably around high school was um, when I sort of, I didn't recognise all this through high school, but I was withdrawing a lot, probably had signs of anxiety then. Um, when I was 13, Dad, Dad had actually given up alcohol and there was um, more peace in the house but still a lot of very untreated um, problems. My older three siblings left home as soon as they could. They were like 15 and they all just fled. Um, and then um, when I was just before my 13th birthday, we were told about God and we came to um, some meetings and um, I... I guess, um, yeah, Dad received the Holy Spirit very quickly and he looked very, very different. He looked very peaceful. And I guess at that point I didn't understand a lot of what the Holy Spirit was, but I knew it was something good. And, um, yeah, just getting back on track with everything. The, the whole family pretty much got spirit-filled, which definitely set us on the path of um, healing. Um so I was about 13 when I received the Spirit and got baptised. Um, I still had high school to deal with, which is not easy. Um, I found it very difficult. I was very withdrawn. I got very bullied. Um, I used to just um, sort of go to school, get through it and come back. But what I did find through all of this, that I found that the, um, the family of God was my safe, happy place. Like when I first came to church, um, there was joyful and it was, um, it, it was just a different sort of life. And I remember saying to somebody this week, I felt like um, there were people in the fellowship and they didn't realise it, but they actually helped raise me. And I think that we don't realise what we're doing, but... Um, we are actually helping people. Um, and also I remember going to teens camp and the girls there were so kind and nice. And I, it was really weird, but I wasn't used to people being kind and nice. Like my family were not nice to each other. They were not kind to each other. They were hurt people and they, um, yeah, they just weren't, it wasn't, they weren't really kind. It was just a lot of hurt. Um, so just like with a lot of the notes that Pastor Bob was saying, um, I didn't recognise until I was probably even finished high school that I had and had depression and anxiety. So especially back then, which was 20-something years ago, I, I didn't really recognise that's what I had. But I was exhibiting a lot of those symptoms. And, um, yeah, so basically um, I guess... Along the way, I had picked up all these 
thoughts and beliefs that were my identity. And you don't really question your identity. You just see it the way you are and you see your thoughts as truth and you see your thoughts as your reality. Um, so when I started recognising, hmm, there's probably, you know, some things here that aren't like everybody else, um, then I started seeking some help and I would go to um, therapists and doctors and things like that. And I just want to say that all the scriptural and church life was very, very helpful and very healthy and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so, you know, one of the first things I remember a psychologist saying to me is just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And so that was the point and that's actually scripturally based and, you know, I remember thinking um, that was the point where I thought, okay, now I'm thinking things and I have to see, does this, is this what God says? Is this what the scriptures say? Or is this something that I've learned? And so that's a very long journey. That's not just like, oh, I'll just change those thoughts. That's something that's taken, you know, I'm 41 now and there are still times where those thoughts come over me. So they, in psychology, they'll call them core beliefs. So basically you have these core beliefs about yourself. And if, if you've come from um, trauma, strong trauma or, or anything, and you've, you've, you know, you might've had bad relationships, you might have difficult marriage and you start believing, oh, I'm not good enough, or I'm not lovable, or you, that things are wrong with you. And so you have to start um, challenging all those thoughts. Um, so let me just gather my thoughts a bit. Um, so with depression, I was always very um, ashamed, I guess, and I saw it as a bit of a flaw. And I've come to realise that is definitely not the case. It is a very normal reaction to a situation that you had no choice in. Um, and Pastor Bob's 100% right. It's um, when um, other things in life are presented to you, and they um, confirm what you're already believing. So if you're believing I'm, there's something wrong with me or I'm not lovable and then something else will confirm that to you and then the pain becomes so strong, it's actually a state where your body goes in that is, is a numbness. It's very much a numbness and it's like part of your brain just shuts down and that's why it's so difficult to do anything and it is easier to just lie in bed in a dark room and barely talk or barely have a shower or barely eat or barely do anything. Um, so um, that was important in my healing too, to realise there's not something wrong with me. It doesn't just suddenly happen to you. You're not going to walk along one day and, oh, I've got depression all of a sudden. Like there is always a reason. Um, so what else do I want to say? Um, so I just want to talk more about the way out and the healings. Um, I guess um, it's important to realise it's usually not a spiritual problem. You often cannot just pray your way out of it. You can just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and your body will still be in the same state. Um, I never took my eyes off God. I never stopped coming to meetings. I never stopped praying. I never stopped believing. 
and I still felt depressed. And the amount of times I went to a meeting and just went through the motions and then came back home was a lot. Um, so um, I, I pray a lot about healing, and I know that's a very frustrating thing for people with mental illness because it is very debilitating. And you do want an instant healing, and sometimes that does happen, but often it doesn't happen. And the way that the Lord showed me is um, at the moment, Zach's got like a big burn on his arm, and it's not very nice. It's like a big open wound. And we've been going to um, the doctor every couple of days and getting the dressing changed. And to me, it still looks the same size. It looks horrible. It looks raw and sore. But when they look at it, they say, um, oh, it's beautiful. It's healing beautifully. And I'm like, how is that healing beautifully? Like it's red and sore and it looks exactly the same. But they are saying to me that granulation under here and that red blood cells and those and that's how it should be looking. And it's all working together and coming together. And then you will see that it's just a slow, gradual healing. It's progressive. And that's why I choose to look at mental health like um, it's a slow, gradual change of your thoughts and your beliefs and replacing them with the thoughts of the, the truth that God says about you. So, you know, if you, um, I guess, are triggered, which is a very psychological word, but basically you could be going along your normal life and then something happens and then, bang, you feel that wound being hit and you are in this fight to not spiral down into depression, down, down, down. So basically that's your fight right then, right there. Bring those thoughts into captivity. I'm thinking this, I'm feeling this. It's all just spiraling, spiraling down and you've got to bring it in and um, start challenging those thoughts with scripture and the truth, um, things like that. So just to sum up, basically where I'm at, if I... Um, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, I may have had um, bouts that would last for sometimes months and then you know you're progressing when perhaps you can move through it in two weeks or sometimes, you know, and then now I might have something and I think, oh, my gosh, I'm, this is really hard and then I might have one day or a couple of hours and I think that is a huge progress for me rather than months and months and months and that sort of thing. And I, um, so that's the depression side. Anxiety is another issue for me as well. Growing up in a house with um, a lot of violence, I always felt scared. That was all I knew. And that's the way I've developed. Um, I have a lot of fear over safety. I have fear over safety of my children. I have fear all over safety of myself. So that's a continual overcoming as well. Kids are laughing because I think I'm overprotective. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but um, hopefully that will give you a little bit more understanding. And I know the people that do struggle um, are definitely agreeing, you know, with what I'm saying. Um, but there definitely is a way out and there is, um, you know, I really recommend that you pray to God about what it really is that you're thinking, where it has come from, what your wound is, and that you ask God to start healing that wound. Like we don't want to just numb it all the time, try and fill it with other things, try and keep busy because we never want to be still with God. Try and um, this is not to condemn people, but if you're drinking alcohol of 
often you're numbing your feelings. Like nobody wants to feel pain. That's normal. But, you know, I really had to pray and understand where it's come from. I had to understand why my parents were the way they were so I could forgive them. I had to understand all the things in my life so that I could have peace. Yeah, I'll just leave it there.